Welcome to Larpender Life, the podcast about HP St. Paul in the 80s and 90s. I'm your host, Dave Carey. You know, one of those sort of key nuggets of advice that you get in your life that was really, really good. And everybody was just happy and positive to see you. And some of the best friends that I've got, you know, so much of that stuff was all because of being at HP. This is episode number two, and today's guest is Doug Kaywood. Doug had two separate stints at HP. Just a quick note, if you missed episode zero, the introduction, make sure to go back and listen to that one so you can find out what this podcast is all about. You can also find out where to find it online and even how you can participate. And now here's my discussion with Doug. Welcome, Mr. Doug Kaywood. Thank you for uh, agreeing to join me this morning here bright and early on a Friday morning, a snowy Friday morning in Minnesota. I really appreciate you um, joining us. Yeah. Well, thanks for inviting me. Why don't we start out with a little bit about where you're from, because you're you're not originally from Minnesota, are you? No. I um, <clears throat> mainly grew up down in Kansas, went to Wichita State, was an aeronautical engineering major, and uh, worked as an intern at IBM, and um, uh, and then ended up um, decided to try to interview with a couple companies to get on as a full time thing, and one of those was HP. And um, I had offers actually from HP and NCR and one other company, Burroughs. And a good friend of mine that worked at NCR, who's pretty high up, said, "Don't go to NCR. You want to go to HP." And so. Um, I took his advice and it was the, well, probably one of the, you know, one of those sort of key nuggets of advice that you get in your life that was really, really good. So, yeah. So I ended up uh, getting hired and started in Kansas City in January of 1988. Tell me a little bit about getting hired. Uh, wasn't it, I think it was Paul McFarlane that was uh, originally associated with that process? Yeah. So I uh, reached out to a guy just to find out more about HP. So I ended up getting a, head, a hold of a guy named Ed Kroll. He was a sales rep in Kansas City. He'd been there for a while. And, you know, he was, it was kind of an example of a lot of the things that happened throughout all of my career with HP. I mean, he was, you know, I was just this kid. He knew nothing about me, but he was willing to let me come over to the HP office of Wichita and sit down for an hour and just coach me on what HP was all about. And and give me some insights and what Paul was like and all that stuff. So it was a huge help for when I had the interview. Um, and then the HR guy, I don't know if people remember him, but Rudy Burris, who was out of St. Louis, was just the nicest guy on the planet. And he was kind of coaching through the whole process, which was really, really cool. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so Paul McFarlane was the hiring manager, um, had you know interviews with him in Kansas City. And then when the kind of a funny story when it was time for, you know, to kind of get you know, sort of the final approval from Tom Obinger and Paul Shermack and that whole team. Um, you know, they they had me fly up to St. Paul, which was, you know, kind of a big deal. I'd really done a whole lot of flights at that point in my life. And so I'm on this flight and I'm wearing, uh, on the flight, I'm just wearing jeans and cowboy boots and whatever kind of a shirt I had, you know, at the time. And I got all my stuff in my, in my suitcase. And I get to St. Paul and they lost my luggage. And... 
So I'm freaked out. And, you know, then you know, I'm calling them, trying to figure it out. The next morning, they still haven't found my luggage. So I called over and got a hold of Tom and said, look, you know, here's the deal. Um, they've lost my luggage. I'm not sure what to do. You know, I'm just, what I'm, I don't know what I was, 27 or something. And, and everybody back then, of course, wore, you know, suits and ties and the white shirts and stuff all the time, right? So, so he's like, well, that's okay. We can wait a little bit before you come over and just, you know, give me a call back in about an hour or something. So I called him back after a while and, and still didn't have it. And, and he's like, well, you know, it's, it's completely, whatever you want to do is totally okay with me. If you want to just, we can cancel this and you can go back and we'll reschedule and come back at some other time. Uh, if you want to wait and see if your luggage shows up, it goes, or if you just want to come on over, he goes, you know, I don't care that you don't, you're not wearing a suit or whatever. You, you can come on over if you want to. I'm like, well, if you're okay, I'll, I guess I'll come on over. And so I'm sitting in the lobby, you know, waiting with, you know, four other guys, you know, old, much older guys that are all, you know, totally dressed, you know, suits and the whole deal. And Obringer comes, you know, you know, winging around the corner and he looks around, scans around the room. And then he sees me and he walks over and he goes, uh, you must be Doug. <laughs> I'm like, oh, crap, this is going to suck. But actually, it almost turned out to be one of the best things because it turned out to be this icebreaker, you know, in conversation for, I had multiple interviews that day. So it was kind of this really cool thing that ended up, ended up happening. And everybody tried to make me feel real comfortable. Uh, so it was pretty cool. Yeah, you're the guy with cowboy boots from, from there on out, right? Yeah, yeah. One last little thing that was kind of funny. So Jim White, there was a guy named Jim White, who was the, one of the FCs in the, in the Wichita or Kansas City office. And he'd been trying to become a sales rep for years. And... Um, so one of the things I did in the interview process is I sent a Western Union telegram uh, to Paul, like within a couple of minutes after I got done with the interview. And so Jim later told me, he goes, he goes, I was just so pissed off at you for the longest time. He goes, because as soon as, as soon as you left, this, this damn telegram shows up and Paul is roaming around the office, waving around this telegram going, look at this. This is awesome. This is awesome. <laughs> One of the things that, you know, whenever you talk to somebody from HP in those days, uh, maybe it's still true, uh, it's amazing how much personal help that people got from and little little nuggets, little people going out of their way to help them. Um, It seems like that's a real defining characteristics of HP in in those times. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just just to jump on that for a second. So, so Paul was my hiring manager. Before too long, he was uh, promote took a promotion and I think it was a promotion uh, and moved up to St. Paul. And uh, so then my manager was Russ Edwards, who was uh, just an excellent manager and, and you know you know sort of almost a little bit like big brothery. And so one day, you know, I've only been on board for maybe six or nine months and he comes over and he's like, So Doug, are you taking advantage of the you know the profit sharing plan or 401k or whatever? And I'm like, no, I really I really know I need to, uh, but I just haven't really done anything yet. And he's like, well, you know, you know, I just really think about putting like a dollar in there. And, and he goes, it's, and, you know, and when you get a raise and you don't believe me, it's one of these days you're going to get a raise. And he goes, just take a little bit of that money from your raise and put it into investments. And then the rest of it, you know, spend it. You'll have more than you had before. Anyway, you'll never miss it. And he goes, before you know it, you know, you'll turn around and it's worth the time. And so, that was just, I mean, learning at 27 or 28 to start putting money away, you know, it's just a, it's just a huge, huge thing. And now, you know, here we are at, you know, 58 to 60, whatever we all are. And, and, uh, you know, we've been able to save all these years and it's a pretty massive, you know, thing that they gave us by, you know, helping us with that. 
Okay, so that was 1988, you got hired and you were in Kansas City. So how, tell me about getting to St. Paul. When did that happen and how did that occur? So one of the guys that I'd become friends with out of the St. Paul office uh, was Mike Stringer. Um, And so Mike would be down in Kansas City periodically for harder stuff, one thing or another. And uh, we had started doing some scuba diving trips together, him and I and Desmond and Gary Peterson, uh, who's another great Kansas City guy. And, um, uh, and so one day Mike calls up and says, hey, you know, there's this position open up here to, you know, on, you know call on the General Mills account. And he goes, I think it's a pretty good, you know, company and, and a couple others. So, um, you know, you might want to think about coming up and interviewing for it. And he goes, you know, plus, you know, if you come up, that church just turns out that this weekend, my uncle over in Wisconsin has this little resort. And every year he has this little golf tournament and a big party. So uh, you should come up and interview and then we can go do the party. And I'm like, you know, I'm like, ah, oh, that's, you know, I'm not really interested. I just, cause I just bought a house in Kansas city, my first house ever. And I really like, you know, Kansas city. I grew up in Kansas city and he's like, okay, yeah, I totally get it. Well then, you know, Mike's persistent. So he calls back a day or so later and says, you know, I really think you need to come up here for this. Well, anyway, after multiple iterations, he finally convinces me that I should come up mainly the, per- my main reason for that. He, you know, he's convinced me that I need to come up is for the party and but it makes sense just to come up and interview and that way people can get to know me a little bit better and and build some visibility in the company and so i come up have this interview with eddie slavin and she ends up offering me the job and i stormed out of there found mike and i was just pissed because i was not in the mode to want to make any kind of a decision of course she wanted a decision and you know by the by the early part of the next week um but after really you know actually it worked out good because getting to see you know, Northern Wisconsin and more of Minnesota and hang out with people up here and, you know, really think about it. Um, I thought, you know, it's really be a great place to live and it's got a better business environment. And um, so if I am going to make a move, you know, Kansas is a smaller office. So maybe a little bit more risk with jobs and stuff. So maybe it makes sense to move. So that's how I decided to do that. Uh, You had a lot of different roles um, over the years. Do you want to give us a little timeline, a little rundown of of what roles you had at HP? My personally just was interested in, you know, kind of changing things up about every three or so years. So I think the very first one was at Territory with General Mills. That's where you and I got to know, know each other. In fact, I asked you if I should move up or not. And in a very typical Dave way, you're like, well, it's good. There's a good customer, you know, there's opportunity, but there's a lot of risk and a lot of potential, you know, things you might want to look out for. And so you kind of like we're more on the positive side, but you didn't want to you didn't want to give me an answer because you don't want it to be your answer. And so anyway, did that, and and that's where you and I uh, had some fun out at General Mills, and uh, but yeah, so did that, and then I was in a partner role, you know, managing lots and stuff, and then I was back into a territory role, doing like in the retail industry when we were more industry verticalized, and so kind of bounced back and forth, like back and forth like that uh, during the roughly fifteen years I was at HP. I've always thought of you as a very curious person, a very creative person. Um, Do you think that was a benefit in your career at HP? I think that's one of the things that hopefully made me a good rep. And, uh, but I think that's also what made me really, really enjoy the job is that, you know, I love technical sort of mentally challenging things, whether it's the technology itself or an issue or learning about a customer. And I just, you know, really like learning about, how a company works, how they make things. It's cool to go into a plant and see stuff being made and stuff moving around and 
and just it's just fun. I mean, that's kind of just like learning about that stuff. So yeah, I think it's been. I mean, I think that's one of the reasons why you know if I'm in a role, it, you know, at least the way I always it seemed like I was a lot. I'd be in a role, I I you know have to kind of get settled into it and learn it, kind of, and then really kind of learn the customers or learn the role and do that for a couple of years, and then and then then maybe the next year after that, you know. I don't know if I was necessarily restless, but I was maybe more open to other things that might come along. And that's, I think that's one of the big benefits that a, that a company like HP really always gave is that you could, I mean, I could do these lateral moves, but stay in the St. Paul office, work with all my friends, you know, stay in the company, you know, so there's just opportunities like that in a, in a company like HP, which I think were really, really great. Well, that, uh, that curiosity and that, um, desire to kind of change things up every so often eventually I know led you to leave HP but then have the unique experience after working with some other companies of coming back uh, not too many not too many people had two separate stints so uh, tell me about that what was what was that like and how was HP the same or different uh, after after uh, you came back yeah, I'd been, you know, I did a little stint at EMC and then ended up landing at Microsoft and, you know, and I and had 15 years of Microsoft and I really loved the culture and the company at Microsoft. And after I'd been there for, I don't know, 11 or so years and I was in a place where, you know, I just wasn't happy with my management. I wasn't happy with my role. Um, wasn't sure if I wanted to move back into a district sales role at the time. And then you and I decided to go to lunch. I think I always told you that if I had the chance to come back and do something with you again, that I would more than like, you know, if it, if it made any sense, I would probably do it. Built myself a little spreadsheet and analyzed it for days on end and and uh, finally decided, you know, what the heck, you know, give let's do it. And when I came back, you know, I mean, HP is just an amazing company and there's a lot of things that were just so impressive and still are. I mean, I mean, I really don't know the company that well right now, but it definitely had changed. It was um, you know, the way they broke up the teams and the roles and, you know, the way they support the customers, you know, the customer account teams were, remember, we used to always, you know, complain about how the fact that when we were in an account, it was us and our SE, you know, it was me and you, and uh, we were up against, you know, 75 IBM people. And why would a customer ever pick them? Because they're paying for all those IBM people. And um, HP didn't ever get that bad, but, you know, it, you know, it was kind of got that way because it just was big and lots of, Lots of different product lines, so you know may, that may be one of the biggest things. All right, so let's let's turn back to the the eighties and nineties, and something that people from our generation and, and earlier like to talk about is is this idea of the HP way. So when I when I say that term, what does it mean to you? Do you ever think about the HP way? Do you think there was something unique, and and how would you define it? Yeah, I think there definitely was. And I, you know, there probably still is. There's kind of, I mean, basically it's just the cult, you know, it's the culture, right? And, you know, there's a lot of HP way that people seem to always claim was gone when I got there. And maybe a lot of it, maybe certain aspects of it were because it wasn't as much of an entrepreneurial company by the time I came along as it had been. Um, but, you know, it was all, to me, it was always about, you know, the respect for the individual, you know, trying to take care of them, trying to give them opportunity, uh, you know, just the way you respect the customers, just the morality and ethics that the company always had. You know, I was always so impressed, you know, at least back then, I, you know, there were just story after story about, I mean, remember, I don't remember another guy from Kansas City, a guy named Mike Porras. And for a long time, his job, as I understood it, was basically to, you know, he was sort of a SWAT guy that would go into these accounts. And, you know, if there was some major issue with a 
I think he was working on the real time. What was the HP one thousands? I think. And so they have issues with these things, and and he'd parachute in and spend however long it took to get the thing working. They'd ship equipment in. They do all kinds of stuff, and they would just do anything to make sure those customers were up and running as quick as they could, and they were successful and happy. And and then those customers, you know, were loyal and did a lot with them. And so I think that's you know one of the huge things. And there's so many just lessons learned. You know when you you know, from Bill and Dave and, you know, kind of, if there was a theme, you know, for me in this, in this, in this little interview, you know, thinking about it is just when I think about all the things that I, I've been able to achieve and have in my life, there's an awful lot of them that basically, you know, there was an opportunity that was there that I had, you know, could, could grab if I wanted to, that was provided by HP. And so you think about it, it's like the house that I live in, you know, the, the, you know, marrying Donna, you know, the kids being in St. Paul, you know, all the, you know, some of the best friends that I've got, you know, so much of that stuff was all because of being at HP. So it's pretty huge. When you think back on the eighties and nineties and you get an image of HP in your mind, you know, you think about that Larpenter office and the, the big expanse of, uh, you know, openness that we had in that office. It was redesigned a few times and a lot of noise and um, phones ringing and people moving around and stuff. You know, what what stands out in your mind? What do you what do you think about uh, from that time period about what it was like and, and what the culture was like? You know, I mean, think of all the stuff we did together, the softball league and the basketball stuff and going to, you know, hitting the bar or, you know, me going with Mike Stringer out to the St. Croix River, you know, on a nice afternoon and, and going skiing, <laughs> you know, I mean, just, and I, you know, and I, at Microsoft it probably happens maybe with people that were younger than me, but, you know, Mike, there's so many things that are phenomenal about Microsoft. So it's not a cut on, but I never saw that same kind of, you know, doing so many things together uh, that we used to do um, at HP. And so, you know, and part of that's just like you said, when you walk in the office and it was, you know, it was a big office environment and lots of cubes and everything. And everybody was just happy and positive to see you. And, and, you know, if you ever had any question for anybody, you know, you wanted to learn, which, you know, especially a young guy, you could go to anybody in the office and, you know, unless they were just completely consumed, they almost always would just stop and they'd try to help you out or try to, you know, educate you about something. Or, and that was all the way up, you know, through Shermack and Obinger and all those guys. They're all just great people. And, or they just love to kind of hear about what's going on in your personal life. So I think that's, you know, that whole thing. And then, like I said, you know, then you have the backdrop of great company and great products and, you know, very moral and, and, um, and really good customers too. customers that I was always pretty fortunate because customers, I think, kind of fell a, t- a really good HP customer kind of was sort of aligned to that kind of culture, you know, to some degree, not, not always, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe more times than not, they didn't, but it seemed like a lot of my customers did. And when you when you talk about um, the interaction that we all had, not just not just in the workplace, which I, I love your description of, you know, people were just kind of happy uh, in general. Not you know, not every minute, of course, but when you walked into the office, you didn't see a lot of sort of gloomy, dark, depressed people. You you saw people who were generally upbeat and positive and happy. And that carried over into all the extracurricular stuff. And, you know, you even talked about it with the way you um, connected with Mike Stringer and how you got up to St. Paul in the first place was, let's do something extracurricular. And you were responsible for 
for some of that stuff. So um, you want to talk about the Woody golf tournament and the inception? Yeah. Yeah. So um, this kind of has a link back. I don't know if people know this or not, but it kind of links back to my time in Kansas city. So another one of the managers down there, a guy named Brian Casey um, for years before I got to HP had done this tournament that he called the, the Byron. Um, and, uh, he would invite, you know, I, the way he, it was, he had just quit it within a year or two from when I got there and he would tell these stories about it. And, um, you know, the way he told it that people would basically plan their team meetings around coming to Kansas city, you know, so they could play in this tournament supposedly. And, and, uh, and so there were a lot of people that played, you know, he talked about the parties and how great it was. Um, and then he would, um, you know, he would, uh, invite like these professional golfers to come and play every year. And he would get letters back from them saying, Hey, Brian, I really had it on my, you know, like, like guys like Arnold Palmer. I think he had a letter from Arnold Palmer. Hey, I was planning on being there this year it was on my schedule. You know, I was, I was so excited about it, but unfortunately this thing came up, it's called the masters or, or whatever, you know, whatever it was. And so I just love these stories. And, and so when I moved up to St. Paul, um, you know, I remember talking to him when I was at Kansas City about, hey, you should start that up again. He's like, well, no, I'm not going to start it, but why don't you start it? Well, the next thing I knew, I'm in St. Paul. And uh, I thought, why don't we just do something like that up, up here? And so he actually kind of helped me kind of figure out a little bit of, you know, what I should do. I think he came up for the first year or two that we did it. Um, but, you know, talking to Shermack, you know, he gave me some advice on how to do it. I think it was Shermack and Joe Oxmarker, the two of them, that came up with the idea that the annual trophy – uh, for the Woody, we call it the Woody, sort of a nickname, a little bit of a nickname that I've, I've had. Um, and that there's a putter, it's a wooden shafted putter that's actually called a Woody. And so uh, Shermack thought that we needed a really nice, you know, trophy that people could get and hang on their wall or something. And Oxmacher had had this Woody and he's like, well, what about something like this? And so he showed me the one that he had, brought it in one day. And that's how we decided to do a wooden shafted putter. And so uh, the Woody um, is a different kind of tournament. We wanted to make it so everybody could play and everybody have a chance to win. So we use a certain kind of a handicapping system. And um, we've, it's been going on now for, I don't know, you know, 25, 30 years, something like that. Uh, we're down to a pretty small core group of people that come every year, which is actually kind of a good thing because it's just sort of our group of, you know, 20 or so people that get together every year to play and it's a lot of fun. And we're trying to make sure that everybody wins a Woody before we're all, before we close this thing down. So Doug, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk to everybody today. And uh, I'm sure people will be fascinated to hear this. Um, can you, before I let you go, can you just give us a quick update as to what you're doing these days? Um, you know, what's, what's in Doug K Woods life right now? So I'm basically, I keep saying I'm semi-retired. I'm probably more on the retired side than semi. We've got four kids. Um, they're 25 down to 18. Our youngest is a Gustavus, um, uh, suffering through all the pandemic stuff, you know, enjoying college and not enjoying it, you know, because she's got to wear a mask every single place they go. And it's really limiting a lot of the social stuff, but she really does enjoy um, Gustavus a lot. And, um, you know, the kids are all doing great. And um, Donna, Donna, my wife, is still working. And uh, we're still living out here in Stillwater and enjoying um, being along the St. Croix River and doing fun things there. So 
Glad to hear it. And thanks again so much, Doug. Really appreciate it. And look forward to the time when we can have a conversation like this in person. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, Dave. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Larpenter Life is produced solely by me, Dave Carey. If it's not obvious by now, let me just make sure you're aware that this is not affiliated or sponsored by HP in any way. Please let me know what you think of the podcast and what other employees and former employees you'd love to hear interviewed. Let me know when you want to be part of the podcast as well. Until next time, take care, everyone.